Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Here is what it sounded like yesterday when Republicans in the House of Representatives finally broke their deadlock. Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress. It was the middle of the afternoon, and after three weeks of leaderless chaos, Louisiana's Mike Johnson was taking the gavel to become Speaker of the House. Thank you. If you are wondering, Mike who? You're not alone. Mike Johnson has been in office less than seven years, and he was the fourth candidate for this job this month. He got shoved into the spotlight fast. I want to thank my dedicated wife of almost 25 years, Kelly. She's not here. We couldn't get a flight in time. This happened sort of suddenly. His introductory speech, it offered a lot to think about. But but we're going to celebrate uh, soon. She spent the last uh, couple of weeks on her knees in prayer to the Lord, and um, she's a little worn out. We all are. I want to thank our children, Michael and Hannah. And Johnson Anna. gave a personal biography, speaking about his dad, who was a firefighter. He talked a lot about God. He said he'd been moved to tears on the floor of Congress, overwhelmed by the enormity of his responsibility. That said, there was a lot in his speech that was bullshit. I called up Tim Miller to help me read between the lines. Tim spent years as a Republican strategist. Now he writes for The Bulwark. The speech also included these overwrought comments about the institutional trust and, and the lack and the loss of trust with the people um, and how he's there to kind of regain that. We, we are the beacon of freedom and we must preserve this grand experiment in self-governance. It still is. We're only 247 years into this grand experiment. And we don't know how long it will last, but we do know that the founders, to take, the founders told us to take good care of it. And it's like, okay, well, uh, that's a nice thing to say, I guess, but he's not, um, he didn't do anything to demonstrate that he wants to regain that trust. In fact, Mike Johnson's been somebody that has been actively working to erode trust. What Tim means here is that this pious-seeming guy, who's been pretty anonymous until now, has been fighting in the trenches for the conservative movement for a long time including as the main architect of one of Donald Trump's schemes to flip the 2020 election. But he wasn't just kind of one of the passive members that voted to overturn the election. He was whipping people to try to vote to overturn the election. He literally sent a note to people saying, Donald Trump wants to see your signature on this amicus brief before the Supreme Court. Like, he wants to know who's behind him. Yeah, right, exactly. So he was being a Donald Trump, you know, whip, trying to pressure others to do it. Uh, he also was advancing some of the more crazy conspiracy theories, like the Dominion conspiracy. That the voting machines were rigged. Were rigged, right? You tweeted about how earlier Matt Gates went on Steve Bannon's show to talk about Mike Johnson. And it's so funny because his language is so different than Mike Johnson's own. He was like, 
The swamp is on the run. MAGA is ascendant. And if, if you don't think that moving from Kevin McCarthy to MAGA Mike Johnson shows the ascendance of this movement and where the power in the Republican Party truly lies, uh, then then you're not paying attention. But they are they are crying. He's giving the mask off version of what Mike Johnson really is. Right. He, yeah. He's calling him MAGA Mike. And these are words that that Mike Johnson would never use himself. No, 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 no. He wouldn't. But I think Matt Gates is speaking what is true. This is why Mike Johnson is the speaker, not Matt Gates, right? And this is why Mike Johnson was the Goldilocks candidate, right? Because his actions are everything that the people that listen to Steve Bannon's podcast want. So that should be pretty scary. But, but his, his affect and his words are, are collegial. Today on the show, the House finally has a speaker. But this Goldilocks candidate means the chaos is far from over. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mike Johnson's name first broke through the noise on Tuesday night. Can you just lay out who he is, what he believes, what we know about his background? He's, uh, Mike Johnson is from Shreveport, Northwest Louisiana. You know, I think in a different era, he would have been really pretty much a Rick Santorum type Republican. You know, like just Christian conservative, cares a lot about social issues, you know, things in the gays and abortion and religious freedom space. And so, you know, I think that that is really kind of his natural place within the party is, you know, as part of the socially conservative wing. But as, as he has gotten into Congress, um, he has developed, I think, pretty good relationships with Steve Scalise, I think, helping, being for, also from Louisiana, with Republican leadership. He's demonstrated as the kind of guy that can, like, you know, do interviews and not sound like a crazy person, which is an important bar to pass in the Republican Party these days. Yeah, sounding reasonable seems like his superpower. Yeah, it is. And though he also, I think, recognized the Trump rise within the party and, and really was lockstep with Trump. Yeah, he caught a shooting star. Like, he, he would travel with Trump, and then he got very involved in January 6th in the litigation around it. Yes. And so he wasn't like Elise Stefanik, right? Like, he wasn't like somebody that flipped and then became an ostentatious defender of Trump. He was more like a, an operational defender of Trump on the Hill. And, and I think that Donald Trump likes those kind of people. Right, like like the people that sit, look the part. Henchmen. Yeah, henchmen that, that he feels like he could cast in the role of a henchman, right? Um, and, and I think that like Mike Johnson really does. And so I think that he fit in that mold where he had a lot of uh, cred on the right because of his views on social issues and, and his advocacy on social issues. And we should be clear, he made this constitutional argument against Biden's victory in 2020, and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And again, making it sound reasonable... 
saying like, listen, there was a pandemic and that meant there were all these changes to how elections worked and like really the legislature should be making those changes. That's what it says in the Constitution. But it was kind of like these other people, elections officials. And so it's like those votes, like they don't they don't count the same way. And you're like, huh, like you can see how he's drawing the lines, even if you disagree with the outcome of what he's saying. Yeah. You know, I went to the Louisiana GOP convention a couple months ago now uh, to cover it for the Bulwark. And and this is a very MAGA crowd. And Johnson's remarks um, were very well received. And uh, he's articulate and, you know, sounded intelligent. Right? Louis Gohmert also spoke at this thing. He didn't sound like Louis Gohmert. You know what I mean? And so I heard that and I was like, man, this guy is somebody to watch because he's figured out how to give these guys the right MAGA red meat while also, you know, having an acceptable presentation for Face the Nation. So I, I think that demonstrates you know, why he is somebody that they turn to, because this is something that the Republicans desperately need, right? Like they, they, they essentially had two groups uh, in the, in the party. Uh, and they had the people that were, uh, you know, basically old pre-MAGA Republicans that were pretending, that were pretending on the MAGA stuff in order to survive, right? And that is your Tom Emmers and your McCarthy's and your Patrick McHenry's. And then you had the MAGA members that are all just a little too weird to like do the face the nation thing, right? And to do the ceremonial elements of the speakership that you have to do. And I think Johnson demonstrated that you can be a wild-eyed MAGA extremist who wants to turn the country into a Donald Trump autocracy and talk about it in a way that kind of sounds like, you know, I don't know, you're a captain of the high school debate team and and drink milk for lunch and have a podcast about religion with your wife, which he does. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're making him sound like the just right bowl of porridge. Yeah. Mike Johnson did not really emerge as a potential speaker until a few days back. And even then, he was not a frontrunner. Initially, Tom Emmer won the party's nomination. But he quickly dropped out once it was clear he would not have the support of the MAGA wing. In the end, there were three candidates left, and Johnson came out on top. And my sense was that the reason why Johnson was able to elevate above the other two was because you know, the the MAGA group was kind of divided among them, but among the more closet normal establishment Republicans, whatever you want to call them, uh, they were more drawn to Johnson. And I think Johnson had built good, like trustworthy relationships with leadership just kind of based on at least how he presents himself down in Louisiana. Looking at the winners and losers of the speaker fight, it's notable to me that Jim Jordan did not win the gavel, but Johnson did. And to me, it just, it made me, wonder, like, what does it mean? Like, what are the issues that are important to Republicans? Because Johnson and Jordan seem very similar when it comes to substance, but just different in style. It just made me wonder if, like, this is a party of optics at this point. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I wrote about this for the Bulwark this morning, and I was like, if the part, if this was an ideological fight, this would have been over weeks ago, right? If this was over some policy issue or some ideology, then after McCarthy was deposed— the crazy eights that started it and whoever their allies are would have gone to the conference and said, we, we will only go for a speaker that will do X, Y, and Z, you know, cut spending by X amount or, you know, finish Donald Trump's wall or whatever it is, right? Like there'd be some specific thing that they wanted, but there wasn't anything like that. Uh, it was they had distaste for McCarthy and wanted to demonstrate power over him and wanted to demonstrate that the MAGA Elements within the party were the ones that were in control, not the, you know, old establishment pre-Trump, you know, guys have been around forever. 
to me, what was so weird is like people like Ken Buck, who just said they couldn't vote for Jim Jordan because of January 6th. But then all the Republicans lined up behind Johnson, who was the architect of election denialism. Yeah. So you have your Kay Grangers and your, you know, other appropriator types, Tom Kane and, uh, you know, these like, you know, the old bulls, if you will. And uh, they went against Jordan. And some of that was interpersonal, like Jordan for a long time had been a thorn in their side, right? And so I think some of this was just good old high school cafeteria stuff. But I, I also think some of it was, yeah, optics, right? That like, they did not feel like he was somebody that should be the face of the party. And, and they feel like Johnson could be. I think that they, they're in for a rude awakening. I, I really do. I think that they're in for a rude awakening with what they're going to get with this guy. And um, I think that a lot of folks are going to be regretting their votes. It's funny because earlier in the week we did a show about the speaker mess in D.C., and I think I said it was a make-or-break week for Republicans. So I'm kind of curious, which was it? Was it make-or-break or both? Hmm, that's a good question because I think it was make in the short term, but I think that they, they run a very big risk of break by uh, next year. And, and let me explain why. You know, back when I was a Republican, uh, we used to use the specter of Nancy Pelosi to really hurt suburban Democratic candidates, right? And certainly red state Democratic candidates, right? It's just like, you know, so-and-so from Georgia voted 92% of the time with a San Francisco liberal who wants to do all these far-left things, right? 30-second ad, they write themselves. The Democrats are now going to be able to give the Republicans a taste of their own medicine on this front. And all 18 of those guys in Biden districts and even a handful that are in close Trump districts, now they have voted for and empowered somebody uh, as Speaker of the House, as the leader of their party, who was complicit in the effort to overturn the election, supports bans on abortion with no exceptions, none, has had extremely far out anti-gay legislation, not just like the don't say gay stuff in Florida, but, you know, he wanted to allow gay sex to be criminalized. OK, and uh, and that and not to mention climate change denier wants to slash Social Security and Medicare. And I think it's going to hurt these guys. You know, to have to run and say, okay, I've been, I'm on board with the Trump reelect and one of his top lieutenants who's this like Louisiana extreme evangelical. I, I just, I don't think that that plays in these California, New York districts that are the reason why Republicans have the House majority right now. We'll be right back after a break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance— Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So let's talk about what happens now. 
Johnson is saying he's going to move really fast. He's trying to jam through legislation this week, but he's new to the job. He still doesn't really have a staff. I mean, you've worked behind the scenes with politicians for a long time. Is moving fast possible for Mike Johnson? It might be possible on a couple things. I don't know what the deal was on the on the continuing resolution. That's the thing to watch. Uh, the government shutdown is until November, so we'll see how quickly they can move on that. So that that is one thing. I think that, look, some of the stuff is back to optics, right? Can he move fast on the bill that says we condemn Hamas? Yeah, I guess. But um, I, I think that the thornier elements to this are, are going to be more complicated than he realizes. Like actually funding things. Yeah, yeah. Fund, like, you know, I thought I saw a list of things that, he, that it's on. It's like, we're going to do the farm bill at the end of the year. And it's like, okay, brother, I don't know. I've, I've, I feel like an old guy now. I'm, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm the old guy being like, back in my day. But I, I mean, I've been in D.C. during two farm bills when there were speakers and majorities that were decently effective and did get things passed where that thing got delayed forever because there are just all these random contingencies that you don't think of. You know, the sugar people are mad at the corn people, right? And it's just like, so this guy with a staff of eight and, you know, a bunch of people that are just new that has never really had to do anything. He's not in a competitive district in, in Northwest Louisiana. Now he's got to go raise money, do all of this stuff to prepare for 2024. He's behind the eight ball. He's got to fund the government. They got to figure out what to do with the Ukraine. I, I think that it's going to be a, a steeper learning curve than, than he presented today. Is Johnson going to be governed by the same rules Kevin McCarthy was haunted by? Like the rule that any member of the caucus can try to boot him out at any time if he strays from the rules? He is, but I mean, technically, Paul Ryan was also governed by that, and they just never really did it. Um, and so, again, I, I think that he's in the sweet spot. I mean, Mike Johnson has been a just down the line right wing congressman uh, that has, you know, there were the, there was, you know, some of these charts going around of like all of the controversial votes since Kevin McCarthy's gotten in the debt ceiling bill and keeping the government open and gay marriage. None of these are really that controversial in, <laughs> among among normal society, but within the that are controversial within the Republican conference. And and Johnson was on the side of the crazies on every one, you know, like every single one. So, what reason would they have to overthrow him? And there's no signs that the more you know moderate I, and I just I don't even like using that word anymore, but whatever that that the folks that stood in the way of Jim Jordan, you know, are going to show the backbone. To, to use the same types of tactics that a Matt Gates did. So I, I think that he'll probably be probably be clear on that front. Yeah. I mean, one of the most important things Johnson's going to have to do is reach spending agreements with the Senate, the president. And he's been so vocal in the past about the need to slash spending on entitlement programs like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. What does that mean for these debates and conversations? Because it just feels like, oh, the person who's driving this now has been very clear about his no compromise positions. Yeah. Um, as I said, uh, the Ukraine thing, I think, is the biggest threat right now. So I think that's issue number one. Because he's voted against Ukraine funding in the past. Uh, yeah, every time. Yeah, every time he's voted against Ukraine funding. And, you know, and, and there's been no even whispers that like that was part of the deal to get him through. Um, so I, I, I do think I felt this way about McCarthy when he first got in that, you know, you all get, uh, everybody gets one pass, you know, uh, and when they get in there. And I do think that he'll get a pass to deal with the budget, uh, in a way that can get through the Senate and, and, and onto the president's desk this time. Uh, I don't know if there'll be additional wheeling and dealing on that or, or what that's going to look like exactly, but I think that he'll, he'll get some leash within the Republican conference to do that. Um, but in the future, I think that we're looking at 
severe, severe brinksmanship on government funding in 2024. So you're saying don't be fooled, like if things look normal for the next couple months. That's what I'm saying. And then I think that he will revert to the hardline ideologue that he's been. You spent years as a Republican operative. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to you in this moment because I feel like I've just lived through these wild swings of Republican identity (laughs) during the speaker race. Like literally Tuesday, there was someone who was a speaker designate who believed the polar opposite of what the current speaker now elected believes, like according to votes. I mean, who knows what they really believe, but had voted in totally opposite directions. I guess I wonder, do you feel like Johnson's election really points to like, no, no, this is the Republican Party now? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't even know, actually, if Johnson is the final manifestation of what the Republican Party is now. Like, I, I really think that the animating issues for Republicans right now are completely different than they were in 20 years ago. Uh, there's some similarities. Uh, there obviously, you know, is a line from Pat Buchanan to now and a line from Newt Gingrich to now. But um, when if you ask somebody in 1996 in the House Republican Conference, like, what are the things that animate you? It's smaller government, lower taxes, maybe abortion, strong military, right? Like that's the old three-legged stool of the Republican Party. If you ask the new class of Republicans what it is now, it's wokeness, you know, it's the woke mind virus, it is immigration, it is receding America from the world, and, you know, maybe it's also for some of them smaller government and abortion, right? So so there's some things that overlap, but there have been a few other issues that are totally changed. And uh, I think that the types of politicians that, you know, kind of where those old Chamber of Commerce Republicans that have been hanging on in the House, like they are representatives of a time gone by. They're dinosaurs. Yeah, it was only a matter of time before they were overthrown. And frankly, I, I think that that they lasted longer than I expected. Is there such a thing as an anti-MAGA Republican now? No, 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 there isn't. I, well, sure, at like city council level and mayor level. A great, we have a great mayor of Oklahoma City that's a Republican, right? Yeah, sure. But as far as in Congress, in D.C., an anti-MAGA Republican, I mean, the only one left is Mitt, and he's, you know, getting shown the door. The, the party has embraced MAGA, and the remaining members, it's just a question of, are you the type of politician that is native to MAGA? Are you a native speaker of MAGA? Yeah, right. Are you a native speaker? Are you to embrace it? Or... Are you, you know, one of the older uh, Republican types who are kind of going along to get along with MAGA? MAGA is a second language. Greg, you know, Greg Sargent, I think, defined him as, I think it was, there were three groups. There's vulgar MAGA, which is the Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, refined MAGA, which is the Mike Johnson, and then there's like pretend MAGA or whatever, and that's, you know, Kevin McCarthy. I, I think that's basically, that, that, those are basically the groups at this point. Tim Miller, I'm really grateful for your time and your analysis. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, happy to do it anytime. Thanks for calling. Tim Miller is the Bulwark's writer at large. He's also the author of Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican road to hell. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.